This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is the Decibel Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. All right, here we are back once again. Everybody loves it when we do the best and the worst, but what happens when we do the best and the worst of one of the most legendary metal bands of all time? I can't believe we're finally going to do it. But today's the day. The best and the worst of Metallica right here on the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my headbanging friend, Chris Sinzak. Are you excited to finally be doing the best and worst of Metallica? Yeah, but this is going to be like supersized, so we're going to have to do a part one and a part two. So we're going to do the... um... Well, I guess for the diehards, the glory years today. Uh, for sure, you know. When we're looking at this, it's such a long discography, and what kind of brings it about is the fact that they just released a new song that is mind-blowingly awesome. So we're excited about Metallica right now, so we thought, you know what, let's do it. The best and worst of Metallica. It's going to be difficult when we talk about the first part, because like Chris said, that is, to me, that's the glory. You know, that's... That's the stuff right there. But we're going to break it all down for you today. We're going to have a good time doing it. You know, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention we got a big, big party coming up right here in Nashville, Tennessee, where Chris and myself are from, where the Decibel Geek podcast originates from. It's known as Music City. Some people call it Country Music City. We know better. It's Rock and Roll Music City, Tennessee. We want you all to come to see us on march 18th that's rockin pod but it's not just the 18th we're taking over music city in the name of rock and roll that whole entire weekend with all kinds of cool stuff we've got the rare hair thing coming up that's a part of it that's amazing because that's where we take all the different rock and roll guests that are coming to rock and pod we put them together on stage in different configurations and they play crazy stuff you wouldn't expect to hear so when you hear the guest list, then you're going to know how cool that is. This is one of my favorite parts of Rock and Pod Weekend. So, Chris, I know you've been working hard on all this stuff. you got a bunch of awesome guests already lined up. What else can we expect from Rock and Pod coming up? 
Well, I mean, we're going to, as you mentioned, the rare hair thing will be officially announced probably in the next week. I'm finalizing a few details on that, but uh, I'll tell the Decibel Geek audience always gets this information early. So that'll be at a place called Eastside Bowl in uh, East Nashville. It's a really cool place. It's got like bowling lanes. It's got uh, separate bars. It's got a music room. It's a, you know, and great, you know, just the design of this place is, it's crazy. It used to be a Kmart building and then they turn it into this giant kind of music venue and uh, that'll be rare hair. I think our friends in Rock United are going to be opening as always. Uh, that'll be happening on Friday. We're also got the Rock and Pod Expo on Saturday. Several guests, including Stevie Rochelle from Tough, Jason McMaster, uh, Mark Weiss, famous photographer. Um, I've got one person I'd like to drop their name right now, but I can't because I was told by the manager not to do it just yet. So um, I'll tell you guys all fair. But it's, it, I think people are going to be excited for this one. But uh, it, it'll be cool. We're, uh, I just announced uh, Craig Gass is going to be coming back to join us along with John, Don Jameson from that metal show. And we'll be doing the uh, Punchlines and Backlines show and also the uh, movie screening again. And, I, and uh, I can't wait to share the details on what movie we're going to be screening because I think people are going get, to get a kick out of that. And then uh, we're over halfway sold on all the Platinum Podcast packages. Uh our friend Andy, who does the sound for us, has been, done up a 3D rendering of what the room's going to look like. Uh, we're going to you know, mess around with that a little bit, but it, it looks really cool. It's nice to kind of actually see it in front of you of what the, the room's going to look like. Fantastic. I can't wait. So if you're a Metallica fan and you're listening to the Decibel Geek podcast for the very first time, then you might not know exactly what we're talking about. Everybody else knows about Rock and Pod. Rock and Pod takes place the weekend of March 18th in Nashville, Tennessee. We bring the rock stars into town for meet and greets, photo opportunities, the chance to see them interacting with your favorite podcasts. You get to see these guys up on the stage doing live interviews where you're a part of the audience, seeing it live, plus the Rare Hair Show where we mix and match them and they all play together. You got Keel Fest going on the night after Rock and Pod. That's an amazing thing. I mean, all the guests, all the rockers, all the podcasts from all over North America coming to Nashville to be a part of this. You're going to be walking on through. You're going to see vendors that got all the best rock and roll memorabilia you could ever imagine seeing anywhere else. You're not going to find it, but at Rock and Pod, these guys know to bring their best stuff because the fans are looking for the best stuff. Also, you're going to keep walking around. You're going to see some guys over here, some cool-ass rock stars. You're going to go talk to them for a minute, get your picture taken with them, get your stuff autographed by them. Fantastic. Keep on moving. Look over here. There's a bunch of podcasters. They're also interviewing cool-ass rock stars. Get to kind of hang out and watch and see how the magic is made when these guys are doing their thing. Keep on rolling. You're going to find up on the stage, there's probably an interview going on with one of the best rock podcast shows in the world that are a part of this thing interviewing again cool ass rock stars what more do you need it's a whole party concerts live music interviews all the fun all the vendors all the cool stuff it's rock and roll partying you gotta love it rock and roll party of the summer right here a little bit early this year in march we're kicking it off rockandpod.com we want to see you having a good time at rock and pod it's going to be awesome i can't wait Yes, sir. You you said it better than I could. Okay. Well, you know, I know you're working hard. I just get to kick back and be like, this is awesome. 
I want to trade places with you. (laughs) So let's get to it. Rock and roll. We love doing this show. It's the Decibel Geek Podcast. We've been doing it for, I don't know, coming up on 12 years, I guess, pretty soon. And we've been around for a while. We've got a shit ton of awesome friends that hang out with us on Facebook. They make comments in the Decibel Geek community on there. They like us. We love them. I mean, it's a great thing. All the love that goes around. All we ask for is reviews and recommendations. We give you the show for free. Thanks to Pantheon. You know, give them a like on Facebook and follow them. Check out all the cool shows that they've got going on. But we love you guys. And we ask so very little. But for these reviews and recommendations. And so many people have done them for us in the past. And we love them for it. We would like some. Because for the second week in a row, there is no reviews. (laughs) Sad face. (laughs) Oh, Oh, well, at least we still got Metallica and we still got our Geeks of the Week. The people that share and retweet when the new episode comes out. So it's awesome. All they do is they see it, they retweet it, they share it. It's awesome. Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Rock and Ron Runyon, Kristen Schimbeck, Mike Tyler. Who is that? Samuel Wetz, Todd Cunningham, Patrick Breen, Aaron Baker, Mackenzie Gilbert, Mark Starsky, Mike Parnell, Shay Hargett, Simon Katz, Shane Abair, Keith Rockford, Brian Knapp, Warren Edward, LaRue Baker, Pantheon Podcast, Rock and Cruel, a true crime podcast, Paul Korn, Sean Geek Podcast, Mark Alden Taylor, Freeform Rock Podcast, Mark and Jerry BS Sessions, David Cathy, Will Honeycutt, Joseph Capone, Bill Elam, Whiting Guitar Works, Hakon Bergstad, Kevin's on Fire, Eladio, Gregory Muse, Alan Deshawn, Jay Shablewski, 66 Crusher, The Beard Speaks Podcast, JJP, Body of the Soul, Vet Halen, Ernesto Aguiar, Victor Ruiz, Scott Crouch, and as always, The Mooger Fooger. That's right. Those are our people. We got to love them. We got to honor them. When nobody leaves us reviews and recommendations, at least these people want to help us spread the word to the world. Of what we got going on here at the Decibel Geek Podcast. It's a whole lot of rock and roll and a whole lot of talking about it and loving it. Man, it's been all these years and we've done a a lot of best and worst. And like I said, so excited about the new Metallica music coming our way very soon. And the announcements of these big concerts coming our way. Metallica today is probably just as big as they ever were. And a true legendary figure in the history of rock and roll and heavy metal, because this is a band that started with humble beginnings and are now the probably the biggest metal band on the planet. No doubt about it. But we grew up in an age where we got to enjoy the first section, what we call the glory days of Metallica. And to break it down for best and worst, it's not going to be easy today. It's going to be really difficult. So we needed someone that was going to give us a hand to help us out, somebody that loves Metallica, somebody that knew him, that was in love with this band from day one. So, Chris, we put the word out. We wanted to find somebody awesome. Who do we got joining us today? It's our longtime friend, Metal Mike Tyler. Hell yeah. Hey, guys, thanks for having me, man. It's an honor, truly. Good to have you on. And, uh, yeah, this is going to be – you got the easier task with uh, these first few years of uh, of Metallica because – uh, our friend Josh Toomey is going to join us for part two of this. Yikes! And, uh, that's going to be the, the haircut and makeup years. Be interesting. Yeah, anybody who knows me knows I'm not really particularly a big fan of that era. Um, 
But hey, it is what it is, you know. I mean, but I will say this: this was easy, but yet it was really hard because this era, in my opinion, especially the Cliff Burton era, is it's fucking flawless, you know. So it's like, you know, worst. I'm like, well, really, it's my least favorite because there's not a bad song on any of those albums, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I gotta agree. When I went through this, I thought, oh man, this is gonna be a piece of cake. Picking the best all of a sudden isn't so easy because. So much of it is the best. And picking the worst isn't very much easier than that because none of it sucks. It's going to be very hard to pick a worst on, especially on these first three. Um, But is what it is. You got to pick one. You know, you got to pick up what's your what is your best and what is your worst? Because some of these and uh, I think I might surprise some people with my best on a couple of these. Maybe we should go around and talk about how we first learned or became aware of Metallica. Okay, uh, for me, you know, uh, I had been a hard rock and heavy metal fan at a very, very young age. I was lucky I had an older brother, and then I had a neighbor across the street who was even older than that and an older cousin. So I got into, you know, and much like you guys, my gateway band for me was Kiss. Okay, so by this point, Metallica rolls around. I'm already into it, and I – the first time I, I wish I could say, yes, I knew the brilliance of Metallica right when I heard Kill 'em All. No, it kind of shocked the fuck out of me, man. Like when the first time I heard it, oh, I'll never forget my my big brother, David Tyler, aka scapegoat to anybody who listens to the Metal Mike show, my radio show on that metalstation.com. When when Dave brought Kill 'em all over, he it was like late 83, early 84, and he brought over Kill 'em All and Slayer's Show No Mercy. Now, at this point in my life, I thought the fastest you could possibly be would be like Motorhead, you know what I mean? And I got to admit, hearing thrash metal for the first time, it blew my mind. It was almost like, whoa, what is this new type of metal, this new sound that I have to take in, and do I really like it? You know, I didn't buy in 100%. I was like, whoa, especially Slayer. Slayer just scared the shit out of me. So um, what happened was about a year or two later, uh, there was a radio show on our local radio station, a rock radio station, KC95, called Monday Night Metal. And I heard uh, they played Fade to Black and For Whom the Bells Tolls and Ride the Lightning just come out and I really liked it. So then I went back to Dave and said, Hey man, you got that new Metallica album and the one before it. And that was when I started really getting into thrash metal. And that's when I became a fan. And then what really made me buy into where I kind of became a thrash metal guy was when I heard Peace Sells, but who's buying, which is a different band, but it is part of the Metallica family. So, and then I was all in on the thrash metal thing after that. Well, for me, I can tell you, when I was a little kid, I had a friend named Jeff, and he lived right up the road from me. He was my first friend that I met on the school bus on my first day of kindergarten. And I was a little rock and roll kid listening to Kiss all these years, and I get to be like around 12, 13 years old. And one day Jeff comes in and he goes, Kiss sucks. I go, what do you mean? He's like, Metallica, man. And he had the Ride the Lightning cassette tape, and I remember him playing it. And it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. It was so heavy and so fast and so rocking. And, you know, it was because, I mean, all I knew was Kiss, you know, and I was first learned about like Motley Crue and Poison and stuff, but I'd never heard nothing like Metallica. But I still had to stand up for Kiss and I'd be like, no, Kiss is still better than Metallica. <laughs> we argue about it all the time. 
But I mean, deep down, I loved it too, you know, but he made it hard for me to admit it because he would never, you know, relent on, you know, Metallica being so much better than Kiss. It's, but so I was like a closet Metallica fan because I didn't want no one to know I liked him because I was so steadfast in my fight for Kiss. So dumb, so young. <laughs> but then years later, after hearing that, and I'd never I'd kill them all. I hadn't heard till years later. Finally, I got an album from my Uncle Bruce. And then I was all in on Metallica. Loved it. What about you, Chris? Well, it's kind of similar to you, Aaron. I mean, I, I didn't get into them back in the heyday at all. I was I was into Kiss and <clears throat> Rat and Bon Jovi. I'll admit it. Um, I was into a lot of the hairband stuff. Also, you know, the door kicked down by Twisted Sister with their goofy videos. That was kind of what the, opened the door for me with that whole style. But I had a friend named Chris Ogle. I played baseball with him, and uh, he, it was him and another mutual friend, this guy named Grady Lowry. And Grady was kind of like every everybody that you knew – Everybody that went to school always knew one guy that was just like naturally amazing at guitar. And Grady was that guy. So Grady started, you know, he would just listen to Metallica tapes and learn how to play this stuff by ear. And it was incredible. And Grady would teach Chris how to play this stuff. And I was getting into guitar at the time. I had a Sensonics guitar that uh, was bought out of the JCPenney catalog. And it looked like a fake Steinberger, like Vito Brada played. And, I'd get picked on for, for that guitar. Well, anyway, my friend Chris got into Ride the Lightning and Kill Em All at that time. And this was, I'm guessing, right around the time that Justice came out, maybe a little after. Obviously, I knew just I knew the one video because you couldn't escape it at the time. It was all over MTV. But but the first time I really delved into Metallica was through my friend Chris Ogle. And and he would he he would teach me how to play for whom the bell tolls and the riff for jumping the fire, like on one string. Cause you could do it on like the low E string, you know, you could, you could fake play it basically. And that was once I really got into those records, but then I got into, but then kill them all was the first one I bought with my own money. Cause I wanted to start at the beginning. And to this day, kill them all is still my favorite Metallica record. I just, I love the fact that it's kind of a mix of new wave of British heavy metal and punk music. It's just, it's got such a raw, angry sound to it and i just love that that version of the band so that was that's kind of how i started becoming a a metallica fan yeah it makes me feel kind of bad that we're doing this and we're starting out right off the bat we've got a long ways to go but it almost kind of a bummer to have to have kill them all out of the way right of the way because you know it's also my favorite if i had to choose one metallica album and i have to throw the rest away to never listen to again I'd have to pick Kill 'Em All. Me too. What do you think, Mike? Oh, I I absolutely adore Kill 'Em All. It's I mean, and it it was a game changing album, much like you could say the first Black Sabbath album was, or the first Van Halen. I remember that when I first my brother, you know, I was a Kiss freak, just a kid, you know. Ace Frehley was my hero, and uh, my big brother was like, "Dude, this guy's better than Ace Frehley," and I was like, "Uh uh-uh. uh," and then he popped on Eruption, and I was like, "Oh." Again, kind of like similar to Metallica. What is this new sound I have to take in? So it's not my personal favorite Metallica, but this is my opinion, especially with the Cliff Burton era. Anybody that comes to me and goes, well, Ride's my favorite or Masters or whatever it is, you can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. Mm -hmm. I can't debate with anybody and go, oh, well, I don't agree with that. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, these first three records are just, they're, they're absolute metal masterpieces. So it's like, I love, I love, and I, I love Kill 'em All, 
a lot for some of the, a lot of the same reasons Chris stated, you know, the rawness of it, this whole like punk with the new wave of British heavy metal and just, you know, it's just it's a beautiful record, man. Same here with me. I, it was years later when I finally heard it because I think Metallica really started coming on my radar. One, my friend Jeff with the cassette tape, and then two, starting to see dudes, older guys running around in uh, in Injustice for All t-shirts and the one video. And before that, I had the one album, Master of Puppets, but you know that was years after it came out. So then it was like all that happening, and then I get to check out Kill 'Em All. And when I was kind of on the fence with Metallica, but that's what really, truly put me over because this album is so good, you know, and to pick a best and the worst off here. I mean, first off, there is no worst on this album. And as far as best, I mean, throw a dart at it, man. <laughs> I'm saying, brother, this was hard. You know, I'm like, and I've listened to a lot of your best and worst episodes in the past, and I've always enjoyed them, by the way, but I'm going I'm going, oh, my God, this is going to be hard. It was really hard for me to pick a best and a worst, you know, or there, like you said, there's no worse. It's just your least favorite, really. If we're going to be blunt about it. And that's not even easy to pick. I mean, I don't have. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying, brother, I hear you. I feel your pain. Aaron, why don't you go first with your best and worst? Oh, shit. I was going to make you go first. <laughs> you want me to go first? I'll go first. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, my best was clear cut because it's my favorite Metallica song of everything they've ever released. So my my best is absolutely 100% The Four Horsemen. That song just takes you on such a ride. And yeah, I know Mustaine released his version with Mechanics, but I'm sorry. The Metallica version just buries it. It's just so much better. And I love the fact that it goes into yeah the into the uh, Sweet Home Alabama inspired part before the guitar solo, and you know it, it, the, the, I do love Mustaine's story where he was he, he just started playing that and he was just goofing around thinking well this sounds like Leonard Skinner and they're like oh we're gonna keep that that's perfect, but uh, no I just love all the different changes that that song goes through and then the solo is just has such an amazing crescendo to it, Four Horsemen is my favorite song in their entire catalog. So that was an easy pick for me. And the worst is hard, though, because, Jesus Christ, what do you pick? Um, there's nothing bad on this whole thing. Everything is great. If, if I have to just pick one that I don't really go back to quite as much as the other ones. I guess I'm going to pick Phantom Lord, but I listen to it as much just about as the rest of the stuff. So um, I'm begrudgingly picking Phantom Lord for my worst. Interesting. Um, all right. My favorite, Phantom Lord. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and it's for a lot of the same reasons, and don't get me wrong, I mean, Four Horsemen. Again, I, I can't argue with you. It's a it's a masterpiece, you know. Um, but some of the one of the reasons why I like Phantom Lord is kind of the same reasons that I like Four Horsemen is, you know, I mean, it's just epic. James's vocals, the the lyrics. I love the the guitar solo, and then you go into the interlude, and then another guitar solo, and it's just, and then James just about the Phantom Lord. It's just fucking awesome man it rules as far as i'm concerned so that is my my favorite 
what's your worst? Uh, this one was hard because, again, I had um, uh, so many of them that it was like because I was kind of I'm an album guy. OK, and I don't know about how you guys feel, but I always felt like if I in fact, this is what affected my voting for it, because the other song that it would have been my best if and I know you said, hey, it's your list dude you can do whatever you want but i was like no i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead because technically speaking they're all separate tracks but to me like i can't listen to whiplash without listening to anesthesia pulling teeth you know you know what i mean it's much like you know the hellion and electric eye with judas priest you know what i mean to me it's just one song or in the beginning and shout the devil i cannot listen to just shout the devil i have to listen because i'm an album guy it's you know it's my generation it's what i was it's just the way i am so it's like so if it, they had counted it as one track it would probably have been anastasia pulling teeth slash whiplash but with that being said i'm like well technically it is a separate track so it kills me to do this but my least favorite would be anastasia pulling teeth but it's an amazing bass solo i love it it's a great instrumental but i'm looking at things as as songs you know so for me that would be the weakest but by no means do i think that means it sucks or yeah like i said there is no throw it's like darren aaron said throw a dart you know really honestly so that's that's mine i see 100 what you're saying about that because when i put whiplash on my ipod i connect anesthesia pulling teeth with it so that it always plays as a double track like that when it comes up in the shuffle so i see what you're saying there 100 best and worst best and worst so i guess i look back when i was younger when i first got this the song that really blew my mind i mean they all did but the one i really liked the best i think was seek and destroy with that for the best man it's so hard i look around at the rest of the track list and like i love all these songs it's brutal dude it's brutal man it was hard my co-host of the metal Mike show bill uh roseberry buildo for realdo his favorite metal i think it may be his all-time favorite song is seek and destroy he absolutely adores that song and again how can you argue it rules all right, cool. What's next? No, you didn't pick a worst. He <laughs> <laughs> tried to pull a fast one. Chris. Nice try, though. <laughs> oh, shit. I don't know. Metal Militia, I guess. Metal I don't militia. know. I mean, it's not just my favorite Metallica album. It's like if I could only have so many CDs, this would be one I'd have to want to keep. And it's the one when I'm listening to Metallica driving around or whatever, it's the one I go back to the most. Yeah, so I mean, they, that's nineteen eighty three, and then a year later they come back with "Ride the Lightning." I mean, what a one-two punch to you know to start your career with, and you know this comes out July of nineteen eighty four, recorded in Copenhagen, and uh, this was when Fleming Rasmussen enters the picture, and you know an amazing producer there, and some th- it just sounds like a record that was recorded in a bunch of snowy situations in like a bunker in Sweden. It sounds like a record that would be recorded in that environment. And uh, 
This one, uh, although I tell you, you know, this one seems to get more love than Kill 'Em All does among a lot of the fan base. And but to me, I mean, I'll take Kill 'Em All over it. Um, this does. I don't think this is a perfect record. This does have a couple songs that I'm not crazy about. I don't hate any of them, but I think I think it's a strong record. But there's a couple of songs that I really don't go back to very often. This album, like I said, it was the one my friend Jeff had on cassette tape, and he'd bring the little boom box on the school bus or i had the boom box and you bring the tape and we jam that stuff in the back of the bus on the way to school and you know it was tough at this time because like i said you know i was such a big kiss fan this was the first thing i ever knew about metallica and i think the first song he ever played me was uh it had to have been just fight fire with fire right off the bat you know because remember like giggling about you're so tight you know like you thought that was so funny and uh yeah i don't know and and this one means a lot to me because of that, because it was this was the one that we really listened to all the time because we didn't have a whole lot of cassette tapes. You know, and what we had was I had Kiss, maybe a Poison and Jeff had this. And man, I don't know. It's hard to pick. There's so much stuff on here I like. For me, I guess I'm going to go with the best is being for whom the bell tolls. I love all the rest of it. I'm going to cheat and call it the uh, instrumental, the Call of Cthulhu, even though it's badass in its own way. There's nothing on here I don't like. When I put this on the iPod, the whole thing is on there. Nothing left off. That's how I call it. All right, man. For for me, the best uh, the opening track, Fight Fire with Fire, is just face melting man i love the beautiful acoustical interlude you know makes you think and i love one of the things i always loved about metallic and something you'd mentioned earlier chris was a lot of the different changes like sometimes there would be riffs within riffs and songs within songs almost and you know bands like that like my favorite all-time band is black sabbath and they were kind of notorious for that not with every song i mean obviously you had some that were straight ahead like paranoid da, 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 you know but most of their stuff they would have like just one riff after another and Metallica did the same thing and did it just seamlessly. But with this, it's just face melting thrash, man. And, and I'm a sucker for face melting thrash. It just, it's just, man, it's just a, it just literally smacks you right in your fucking ear hole. You know what I mean? It. And uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. I love every song on this album, but my least favorite would be um, Call of Cthulhu, man. And and I, by no means am I putting that down because it is an amazing instrumental. So uh, yeah, that that's mine, man. Uh, what's yours, Chris? 
So I went back and forth on this one a lot. Um, this album is kind of a head scratcher for me as far as picking a best and worst on here because it's mm. there's a there's a number of songs that could some of them can kind of go either way. Let me first say that I love one of the songs on here that James Hetfield absolutely hates, and that's the song Escape. And I know he said that the the band was pushed by the record company to write something radio friendly, and that's why they put it on there. I think it's a great fucking song. It's not my Does favorite. Does he still feel that way to he this day? He still hates it. They did it at really. The, they played it live at the Orion Festival because they were going to do lightning front, you know, front to back, and so they kind of had contractually had to play it. Mm. And before he, when he was introing the song, he's like, "Here's one we've never played live, and I hope we never play it again." He still hates the song. Really, yeah. that blows me away because again, I don't want to be a dick here, but I just got to say it. After a certain era, there was a lot of, hmm, how do I put this kindly, um, filler, okay? That I would take escape over anything post-Justice for All. I'm just being honest, okay? I'm not trying to, you know, because I know some people, they get into Metallica at a certain era, and they love that era. I understand that. I do. But, yeah, I'm like, okay, James, whatever, man. Put down the crack pipe there, buddy. <laughs> but this one... um, the easy pick for me for best would have been for for whom the bell tolls because it it had such an impact on me, especially as a young guitar player. Mm -hmm. But I am frankly kind of burnt on that song. Um, although you're going to find out, I'm going to pick some other favorites uh, down the road here that I should be burnt on, but I'm not. But that one, I'm I I don't need to hear that one ever again. It was a neck and neck race for me between Trapped Under Ice and the title track. I'm going to go with the title track. Um, because it's one that I go back to all the time. And Fade to Black is a masterpiece also, but I don't know if I need to hear it again. But um, I'm going to go with the title track, Ride the Lightning. I think it's there's just something that brings me back to that song pretty regularly. And then for worse, I'm going to join the, uh, the, the the crowd here because I don't need a nine minute instrumental for Call of Cthulhu. I, I just I'm going to I'm going to that's a skipper for me. I don't really go back to that song very often. Yeah, it's hard to pick a worse off here. I see what you're saying about escape, you know, and I don't understand why it's so hated. These guys, they always talked about their influences. And one of those bands was Budgie and Budgie wasn't a hugely well-known name. But for the people that did know that band, they were awesome. And that was one of the bands that Metallica kind of gravitated to. And that song Escape, all these years later, now knowing what I know about Budgie, I think, well, damn, that's that right there sounds like a total influence of that. I like it because they would go on to do Budgie covers that are just out of this world. Amazing. So, you know, showing their influence on that. And like with Fight Fire with Fire one of those songs that kind of lulls you into a false sense of security. like <laughs> And then kicks you in the head. <laughs> well, that new Metallica, you know, that bought the uh, Kill 'Em All album when it was new and were waiting for the new Metallica album to come out to put the needle down or to hit play on the cassette player and hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and just when it gets to the point in your mind where you go, what the hell is this? 
And then all of a sudden, bam, you know, like, oh, okay, cool, man. Guys scared me there for a couple of seconds, you know. <laughs> all right. Was it this record or the first one that they were they wanted to call it Metal Up Your Ass? Was that the first the one? The first one, yeah. But yeah, that that does remind me, even before I got into Metallica, I had a, a classmate in school who got thrown out of school for wearing the uh, Metal Up Your Ass t-shirt. I'll never nice. forget that. Yeah, with the toilet and everything. They had the coolest t-shirts. They did, yeah. Even the Ride the Lightning with the actual glow-in-the-dark guy in the electric chair getting fried. Yep. so cool i remember there was an era there was kind of an era of mystery and evil behind metallica back in those days i remember oh par- definitely pa- parents definitely. were afraid of them at the time i mean chris yeah i mean it's like our good friend ian wadley wadzilla says all the time man back in the day and i'm i remember because i was there you were kind of a hooli or a dirt bag if you wore metallica or slayer or megadeth shirts i mean thrash metal was not it was dangerous, you know what I mean? And, 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 uh, you know, and I was one of those guys that kind of enjoyed a lot of different styles of metal. Like I loved Rat and Metallica, you know. Um, but there were some people you were either in this camp or you were in this camp, you know. And, uh, eventually I got more and more into thrash metal as time went on, but I still love, especially like the first generation, even the second wave of some of the glam metal bands, I think is great stuff. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Uh, you were you were you were dangerous if you you know people looked at you and oh man you know Metallica you know what what is that you know kind of thing I remember that I had a shirt that was a combo of Ride the Lightning and uh, Kill 'Em All in the front it had the dude the glow in the dark guy getting fried and in the back it had the the cover of Kill 'Em All with the logo and uh, you know I remember people looking at me like I was a freak and I'm like you're right I am all right so we ready to move to 1986. Yes. All right. Here it is. Finally, this is the album that I bought off my uncle Bruce. So I think you know, even though Kill 'Em All is my is will always be my favorite Metallica album, I think Master of Puppets, released March third, nineteen eighty six, is kind of considered the gold standard of of their achievement as far as you know, songwriting, musicianship, artwork, production everything coming together it's like truly one of those planets aligning albums where everything you can't really you can't knock much of anything on this record it's pretty much a perfect album and then you know it's you know our friend michael wagner was the mixer on this and then fleming rasmussen produced it and the album cover is legendary the songwriting is legendary the playing is legendary um there's it's 54 minutes of perfection. Um, picking a worst on this is pretty much impossible, but, uh, Aaron, why don't you go first on this one? Well, like I said, this was my first Metallica album and it was years later, you know, when I finally got it and it was probably around 88 or so I'm probably about 12, 13 years old. And the legendary story that everybody knows about me, you know, um, wanted my uncle Bruce's records, he was moving on to cassette tapes. My parents said, you can sell them to him, but you can't give them to him. So I do whatever I could to earn a little bit of money. So I go over to Uncle Bruce's house. He'd sell them to me for a buck a piece. So as I'm, Hell mo- yeah, dude. As I'm moving my way through his collection, you know, every week I'd go over there and look at and listen to his stuff, you know, sit there with the headphones on and try to decide which one I wanted. And at that time, then I'm hearing my friend's cassette tape. And I'm loving it. I'm thinking it's awesome. And then I see this in his collection. I got this and I got Rust in Peace on the very same day. 
Oh, nice. A good day. He had them both on LP. And so I bought them, brought them home and listened to them and was just completely blown away by this. You know, at this point, like I said, I'm, I'm a big Kiss fan, kind of getting into Poison and Motley Crue and bands like that, starting to learn more about those type bands. And then Metallica, you know, and then Megadeth. And, you know, loving this stuff in a totally different way of the other rock that I'm loving. And this was one, man, I sat in my room and I listened to this over and over and over again. And as a young mind, these were songs where you could almost picture movies in your head as you listen. Like they all tell, you know, stories, some of them pretty scary stories. And, you know, really let your mind run away with you when you're listening to it. So. Boy, this one means a lot to me. Picking the best and the worst off of here is no easier than anything we've done so far. Hmm. I guess I'm just going to go with the one that really grabbed me when I was younger. Because I love the whole thing. There's nothing on here that I'd want to live without. One that always grabbed me is kind of a backtrack on here. It's Disposable Heroes. You know, back to the front. such a scary ass song to try to imagine you know you think about like older generations who were in world war one and world war two and fought in vietnam and korea and were in these kind of situations that it's like you know you're everyone around you is dying and they're telling you keep going keep going you know and you're running face first into death as a young guy you know listen to that that's some scary shit you know so that one always grabbed me because it did more than just, you know, rock and make you want to bang your head and pump your fist. It made you imagine, you know, what that must have been like and how terrifying it is. So it almost moves you on a completely different level. But, you know, I could say that about just about any one of these songs. <laughs> but, you know, uh, Aaron, if I can interject, man, I know exactly what you're saying, because I remember the very first time I heard that song and I could literally like see the soldiers, explosions, bullets whizzing by like you can feel it. It's like palpable, you know, so I understand exactly what you're saying, man. Wild, man. I love it. That's you got to love hard rock and metal music, you know, especially when it it's it becomes more than just something you listen to and you know, bob your head to and say, man, that's fucking awesome. You know, something that grabs you a little bit deeper. I'm going to take the cheater's way out. Oh, you know, I can't pick nothing else. I'm going to just pick the instrumental again, I guess. I mean, Orion is freaking awesome, though. <laughs> but, I mean, I had a difficult time picking the best, even though I love that song so much. Leper Messiah's killer. Damage Incorporated just fucking rips. Welcome Home Sanitarium is awesome. I mean, that's another one that you can picture shit in your mind when you listen to all of it. The title track, the intro to the album, just mind freaking melting stuff. I love it all. But yeah, there you go. That's my best and worst. Good luck. <laughs> well, uh, I'll go next. Um, yeah, very hard to pick up best on this one. I like that you mentioned Disposable Heroes and I... And, um, when I was playing in a band with my friend Wes, um, one thing that we kind of noticed, this was back in the nineties, we would, 
we would play this, you know, we would play certain albums to just sort of get inspired to write songs. And, and we were playing Master of Puppets one day and Disposable Heroes came on and there's this whole, when they go into the main riff, there's like a halftime drum part going on behind the riff. And I, and I looked at my, at my friend Wes and I was like, you know, this is 1986, but if, if they had kept that part going, that's almost like the beginning of new metal. I hate to say it, but it's one of those things where it's like a grooving drum part with a really heavy chugging riff. And I was like, they were fucking ahead of their time with that song. You know, it doesn't stick with that pattern. But when I when we were playing it, we we're like, holy shit, that sounds like the beginning of new metal or groove metal like Pantera would end up taking on. But um, I love that song. It's not my best. For my best, I am going to pick the title track because... The thing I and I, I was never a lyrics person, but Metallica definitely did open my mind up to certain lyrics. Disposable Heroes is a good one because of the whole the the war thing and everything. But that you know, if you got in got into Metallica and you you know lived through the whole some kind of monster thing with James and his addictions and stuff, the thing that blows me away about it is he's writing Master of Puppets is a song about addiction and vices controlling your life, and it's almost like James subconsciously wrote that to himself, and that's you know, cut your breakfast on a mirror and all this stuff. And it it's one of the, it's one of the, one of the most well-written songs on addiction I've ever heard. And it, the mind blowing part is he had no idea he was kind of writing to himself when he was, when he wrote those lyrics. So I, I and of course the riffing on that, it, it's just like a tidal wave of amazing riffs on that whole song that, and it just doesn't let up through the entire thing. So I'm going to go with the title track for my favorite. Um, I almost picked Battery because it's just such an amazing way to open the record. But uh, I'll have to pick that as far as worse. The only reason I'm picking this is because it is a tad bit plotting, but I never skip it when it comes on. But I'll pick the thing that should not be for my worst just because uh, I, I, if I have to pick a worst, I'll pick that. Orion I love as an instrumental, as a guitar player. I love that song. You know, think about that with new metal. What do you think those guys were listening to? What was inspiring them? Yeah. Master of Puppets. It's like the groundwork for that that style. You know, another thing, too, is, you know, when you really sit down and listen to these albums, especially these first three, and people love to give Lars Ulrich a lot of shit, and people don't seem to give Kirk Hammett a lot of love. Even you yourself a couple of weeks ago said you didn't consider him up in the top echelon of rock guitarists but i think going back and listening to these first three albums man really reinforces just how damn good lars ulrich was and you know how good kirk hammett was and how much you know i don't think these guys get the respect they deserve as musicians well this was pre-wah pedal so i'll give kirk a, a, some credit on that yeah maybe he damaged his own legacy a little bit <laughs> with the black album and the wah pedal all right, for best, man, and again, I'm with you guys. It was really, really hard. But the one song on this album that just gets my heart pumping, and it, it's, it's, and, and what makes Masters to me a perfect album is from beginning to end, it leaves you wanting more. You start off with Battery, an amazing opening track, but what do you close with? 
a total, a double smack to your ear, both ear holes. Uh, Damage Inc., man. Damage Incorporated. It's my all-time favorite Metallica song. I flippin' love it, man. Anytime I listen to it, man, I just feel like breaking shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I absolutely love it. It, this album is flawless. There's it, and again, man, worst. I kind of struggled. For me, it was a toss up between the thing that should not be, which I love. It's a great song. In fact, it's the uh, that's my um, nickname for my ex. And uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, the other one would be Orion, which I love. Orion. I mean, I absolutely adore that. It's probably one of my the maybe the greatest thrash instrumental written ever. You know, it's just it's just a beautiful and I mean, uh, and Cliff on the bass and just some things. But one of the things I also love about damage is what Cliff does with that bass, with that wah, wah in the beginning. I just absolutely love that. And people have to understand something for me, man. I'm not a musician. I have no musical talent whatsoever. I'm just a humble fan, man. So I can only go by what pleases my ear. That's probably why I revere musicians as much as I do, because I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, absolutely. Damage Inc., man. And my all-time favorite Metallica album. Yeah, it's hard to top it, man. You know, this really kind of brings me back on memory roll a little bit because when I was younger and I worked on a radio station, and when I worked on radio at Z104 out of central Wisconsin, every Monday night before Rockline, they'd give me an hour to play just Metallica. And it was Mandatory Metallica. Right. Yeah. Cause I know they did it everywhere. Cause it wasn't like an original idea to central Wisconsin, but it was really the most freedom that I had to play whatever the hell I wanted because oh yeah, the stack of the CDs that were out at that time and I could just go back and play whatever. So I take requests or, you know, just I put up a good lineup, you know, and it's like, I could pick some of these deeper tracks. And I remember, playing damage ink on the radio and things like that. And it was such a cool thing. And I even went one time to the boss and I said, Hey, you know, been doing this mandatory Metallica thing for a long time. And it's awesome. I really love playing Metallica. And uh, I go, but can we do it with other bands? You know, maybe do like an hour of us, just maybe a different band every so often. And he was like, well, like what? And I was like, I don't know, like, like Motley Crue or, you know, whatever. And he's like, well, how would that work? And I was like, I just play, you know, by for an hour of songs by a different band. He's like, well, that wouldn't be mandatory Metallica. And that was all I got. <laughs> it, but it could be Crucial Crew. <laughs> oh, it, it was only Metallica. That was the only way it could be. You know, it was his way of saying it's Metallica or nothing. And I was like, no, cool. No problem. I'll keep playing Metallica. That really does tell you, though, that the effect that Metallica had on like the zeitgeist of society the, for the fact that radio stations of all people would allow you know a full hour of their music including deep cuts that's how much impact that band had and it just goes to show you also how far they they had come because i'm telling you when kill em all came out 
no radio was playing that. Not around where I was living. I'm telling you right now, man. You know, nobody, nobody was listening. I mean, other than KC95's Monday Night Metal, they would play Metallica, the early stuff. But that was it, and it was only on Monday Night Metal. You didn't hear freaking Seek and Destroy <laughs> during the regular radio hours. It just didn't happen, man. You know, even at the time of Master of Puppets, I mean, they've got a pretty big underground following at this point, and there's oh, yes. some records at this point. But there's still, at this time, talking about, you know, 86, 87, Metallica's really still too heavy for just regular rock radio. But those days are changing. They're coming up. They're going to get some hits eventually. I got a feeling. Do you guys remember this? I don't I don't know if you guys remember this or if this is something my friend made up. Because like I always said, I was talking about my good friend Jeff, who was like the biggest Metallic fan I ever knew. And he would tell me back in the day that, you know, Metallica is never going to make a music video. Because making music video is what sell-out bands do. I remember that. Do you remember that? That's why I always wondered about that. If that was something that sucker just made up. <laughs> well, I remember because, and we'll get to justice in a minute. We're going to talk garage days, but, um, but I remember MTV premiering the one video I was, I had just come home from school and I think it was Kevin. I, this is one of those, it's crazy how certain things get burned into your memory, but, uh, MTV had a VJ named Kevin seal. He was a real smart ass. And, but he always got, you know, hair metal and metal at the time was like at its peak. And I remember coming home from school and I turn MTV on and he's like, now for the first time they said they'd never do it. Metallica has a video and here's the video for one. I remember seeing the world premiere of the one video and it was like four o'clock in the afternoon on like a Friday or something. And, um, but yeah, MTV even made light of the fact that they said they'd never do a video. Pretty wild. I think he then told me that, you know, well, that was Cliff. Cliff went to wanted that. It's possible. Well, I do know they they did that footage when they did the day of the green that MTV professionally shot and they were going to show it. And then Metallica and their managers nixed that, which was kind of weird. It's like, well, you had them film it. Why? You know, but I guess they had their reasons. You know, um, I got to be honest with you as a Metallica fan, though, I would have loved to have seen videos for their classic albums. It, it didn't really bother me right. when they finally did make a video. Um but that's just me, you know. Yeah, but I mean, imagine what a video for Master of Puppets could have been like. It could have been amazing. Oh, well, one of the things I think would be really interesting to do, and I know some legacy bands are doing it, like Rush, when they did the anniversary for 2112 and they had the animated videos. And just recently, there's that really cool video for the Beatles, uh, Revolver, I'm Only Sleeping, which I absolutely love. And I'm like, man, I, I really wish a lot of these a lot of these legacy acts would do that, like especially if they're releasing a – special edition or a box set of it man put out some cool you know animated videos for your stuff man you know sabbath metallica megadeth anybody you guys listening do it it's it would be awesome ever to do it too yeah yeah i seen the one with ozzy and lemmy and it was amazing it i was, loved it dude i would love to see something like that for the song master of puppets dude disposable heroes man come on every one of them yeah um so, you know, Metallica's picking up steam. And also, let me, I'll bring up, I've brought it up on the show before. I just want to share it. Like, one of my first exposures to Metallica, this is before my friend Chris got me involved with them. I was visiting my grandparents in Nashville because I was living in Atlanta at the time. And we came up to stay at my grandparents' house. 
and I'm I'm going to sleep. At, uh, the ten o'clock news is on in the guest room, and I'm going to sleep. And they're like, and now tonight at Municipal Auditorium, Ozzy Osbourne performed and with a new band called Metallica opening. Here's a little clip from that show. And I remember seeing the video, and it's got the, the crosses coming out of the stage, and Cliff Burton is headbanging with his bell bottoms on. I never, I still remember seeing that. That was my first exposure to Metallica. I remember that to this day. That's awesome. My big brother, my older brother, he saw that tour. And he said the one thing he remembered, he was already getting into Metallica, was like when Cliff would bang his head, he said his, his hair would be like woof, woof, like a wave, you know? And it was so trippy, man. But yeah, he said they were amazing. Um, so he got to see Cliff, man. So as we know, you know, Cliff tragically dies in the, in the, you know, in the bus and, um, while they're on tour in Europe and then they get Jason Newstead in the band. And then the story goes that they were trying to throw an album together quickly. And I think they, they got like blackened was the, the main original song that came out of, you know, writing with him. But then they decided, you know what, let's just go back to Lars's garage, knock out some cover songs that we love. And that'll help kind of shake the rust off and, and, and get Jason integrated to the band. So then you get the $5.98 EP garage days re revisited in uh, August of 1987. Um, you know, I don't, I have mixed feelings on this. This, this EP gets a lot of love from a lot of people. I rarely go back to listen to it. So I'm going to make my picks really kind of quick on this because I, I, I listened to it again just because of us recording today, but I don't know that I'm going to want to go back to it <laughs> again in the future. Um, if I have to pick a favorite, I'm going to pick Crash Course in Brain Surgery because that song did open the door for me to get into Budgie, and uh, I love a lot of Budgie stuff, and Burke Shelley is like an incredibly underrated um, songwriter. Um, I do like Last Caress. I don't care much for the Green Hell portion of the song. And I do like the Holocaust cover. Um, but I'll go with Crash Course to be my favorite. And my least favorite, I'll go, I'm will i going to go with Helpless because they had a lot of success with Am I Evil and other stuff from Diamond Head. But this is the one Diamond Head cover of theirs that I just don't like. I, uh, I, I, I never go back and listen to this, and I probably won't again, to be honest. I love it, man. I like, I like all these covers on here. I guess, yeah, I'm going to agree with you 100%. Best song on here, Crash Course and Brain Surgery. It's amazing. That did open up the door to Budgie for me as well and made me love that band. And the the original is cool, but they take it to a whole nother level on here. I guess least favorite, and I still like it, Last Caress, Green Hell. Don't really care for that one. I like the other three quite a bit. But it's just an EP. It's fun. It's cool. Is the idea of... Was the idea at that 590 ADP, was it called that? So, like, retailers didn't try to sell it for more or something? Yep. That's exactly why they did it. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> okay, when it comes to this EP, you, I'm with you on, in, in this respect. This is one I don't really come, go back to a whole lot, you know? I'll be honest. But um, but I have a lot of fond memories of this this coming out, 
you know, I've, I've listened to it with my big brother and my buddies and, you know, partying and stuff. So uh, I do like it, um, but it's not one like when I when I do listen to Metallica that I really listen to a lot. Um, I'm with you guys. Crash Course, easily the best song. And it's the song that got me into Budge G. I mean, it's one thing I'll give Metallica credit for. I would never have become a Diamond Head fan or Blitzkrieg fan or any of those other bands if it had not been for them, you know, doing these covers, you know. Um, and that's partially because I lived in a rural area of of, of Southern Illinois. I mean, I'm in the Metro East St. Louis area. But when you're a teenage kid and you don't have your car, St. Louis may as well be a, a world away. And that's where all the cool mom and pop record stores were that got the import. So I didn't get to do a whole lot of, um, I didn't get exposed to, I mean, I got exposed to a lot of cool music. Don't get me wrong, but some of the more underground stuff I didn't, if it wasn't for my big brother's buddy, I was mentioned before, uh, Dave Grindstaff, he was the guy that introduced us because he'd go to St. Louis all the time. That's how I got turned on to Merciful Fate and Venom and all those bands. And, and even Metallica and Slayer was because of him, because nobody was listening to Kill Em All. I mean, you're talking, that was a fringe, you know, underground thing at the time. Uh, but yeah, I do remember buying this. My least favorite and mainly part of it's my prejudice against Glenn Danzig. I feel about him the way our good friends feet at the Rock and Metal Combat podcast feel about sammy hagar wow. so yeah yeah i'm not a fan man which is weird because i like the elvis i like jim morrison but there's just <laughs> something about danzig that just I, I i i don't know i just think he's a fucking ham bone poser bitch but that's just me anyway how do you, you really know, feel though yeah oh you know me you know how i am remember that time when i got drunk at aaron's house and i said what i said about vinnie vincent we remember you don't yeah i saw it though i was like oh my <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's funny i only did that because you know i just felt like you guys flew that flag for so long and for things to go the way they did i was just like man fuck that guy but yeah. moving on moving on benny vincent thing ever that it turned out that way <laughs> you know it really is though because i mean obviously it's like my it's funny we we talked about Vinny last night on my show uh my radio show and and my nephew came you know he was just like you know, he's like, obviously the guy's got mental issues and he needs to get help. I said, but he's not going to, mm. you know, it, clearly. I mean, Gene Simmons said it best in that one. I was it kiss exposed or it was some documentary where he said the most self-destructive guy he had ever met, man. And, yep. and that just sums it up. But anyway, moving on. Yeah, that that's. I'm with you guys, man. Crash Course and Brain Surgery is the, the track. I love that we one. found a way to shoehorn Vinnie Vincent into a Metallica discussion. <laughs> hey, man, you know, it's all metal, right? Cool. So then we move on to 1988, and uh, the Baseless album, and Justice for All, comes out in September. And uh, recorded at One on One in Los Angeles, produced by Fleming Rasmussen and James Hetfield, and most importantly, Lars Ulrich, because that's why the bass <laughs> is not on the record. And uh, if you want to check out our interviews with Toby Wright, he kind of explains the whole situation behind that because he was part of the engineering team behind this record. And um, I still have great memories of this record when it came out. This was kind of the new record when I got into Metallica. So um, the one video, like I mentioned, I saw the world premiere of it on MTV, and then you couldn't get away from it. MTV ran that video into the ground. And, they sure uh, did. Made uh, rentals of Johnny Got Your Got His Gun uh, skyrocket in video stores, and then we all found out that the movie sucked. But anyway, that's a long story. But the video sums up. Uh, I do love the idea behind the song, but uh, 
There's a lot of cool stuff on this record. The only thing I do have a little bit of an issue with some of the song length on this one. This is partially why I'm not a giant Iron Maiden fan is some of the songs are just too damn long on this. Um, I like it better when they're short to the point songs. And I think Metallica was starting to get a little high on their own supply with this album. They got a little progressive on this album. I do love a lot of songs on it. I love Blackened. I love uh, Shortest Straw, Harvest, or sorry, Freight Ends of Sanity, one of the best choruses the band ever put out. Um, for my picks, though, I'm going to pick, uh, I'm going to pick one for the best. I think it's an absolute metal masterpiece. I love the story behind the song. I love the playing. Um, it's just a fucking masterpiece, even outside of metal. I think people that aren't metal fans would love that song. For worst, I'm going to go with the title track. Um just too damn long. Do we need 10 minutes of this song? And it just goes on forever. That's that that's I'm going to stick, stick with that. But, uh, I do like the album, but a few things, a few, a few of the songs get kind of self-indulgent to me. Yeah. This is kind of a tough one to pick. Like you said, you know, this was the one that, you know, I'm seeing the older dudes with the, uh, and justice for all t-shirts and seeing it on the shelves for the first time. And, you know, it's a cool ass album cover. They're tearing apart the statue of justice and, Pretty outstanding stuff on here. Going back on it now all these years later, when I put it in my iPod, I bump up the bass. <laughs> you have to. Yeah, I don't understand that. And, you know, I was thinking about one, too, because first I thought, man, I've heard that song so many times. It's so overplayed. But then you think about the greatness of the song and why it was so popular and why that was the song that broke Metallica into becoming a household name. Because that was truly it, you know, the power of MTV. But, man, you got to have the power of a good song and a crazy video to go with it. Sure don't hurt. And you got to give the love to one. But for me, my favorite song personally on here, just the way the album kicks off, you know, how heavy it is. And the production ain't there, but there's some great songs on here. But Blackened was one for me that, and that song just cooks and jams. one when you put it in you gotta crank it up you know because it's got to be played loud i love a song like that heavy as hell cooking catchy at the same time blacking one of my all-time favorite metallica songs for the worst one on here i see what you're saying about some of these songs being pretty damn long this is kind of proggy by metallica standards one that never really grabbed me that much is probably to live is to die I really like everything else. That one never really did it for me. When this goes on the iPod, that's the only one that gets left off. All right, man. Uh, for me, uh, it, like you just, you guys mentioned some great ones that I really, really like a lot. Um, I, I am with you. I think it's funny. At the time, I loved this record, um, even though, it, it, and you're right, it was, I mean, almost like progressive thrash, you know, and I do remember going, huh, interesting. And I do remember going, man, where's the bass in this? I don't hear it at all. Like the, the, it was so almost kind of raw sounding in a way. It was just like, whoa, man. Um, but uh, I, I did dug the album, have a lot of fond memories. Remember 
one coming out on video, remember being really excited by it. Still think one is an absolute masterpiece of a song. With that being said, though, my personal favorite song, and always has been, the closing track, Dyer's Eve. Once again, just face-melting thrash at its finest. You know, James is just spewing venom on shitty-ass parents and parenting, and it's just a great, great track, in my opinion. And it's like, to me, it's the damage ink to this album. You know, it left me wanting more. My least favorite, even though I, I love Cliff and I love it, it's cool, but to live is to die. I like it, but I, I, I got to be honest with you, the title track would be fucking tied, man, because it is a little too long. It's like, whoa, man. Like, but it's just one of the weird things because there's certain bands. I do like some progressive rock and metal, but it's like, I'm with you guys, man. I long for the days when Maiden would kick the shit out of me in four and a half minutes, man. I, you know, I, I don't hate, it's like, I, I listen to new maiden and I don't go, well, it's, it's not that it's bad, but it's just like, after a while, it just, I get bored with it. I have to be honest with you, man. I'm just like, oh, here we go again. You know, I, you know, and, but I do, I do love and justice. And to me, this was like the end of an era almost, you know, um, and it was clearly obvious, I think. And I, and, and I love Jason Newstead, huge Flotsam and Jetsam fan. Love the first Flotsam and Jetsam album. To me, I feel like he was criminally underutilized with his time period in the band. I just feel like he didn't really get a fair shake. I'm sure financially he did, but creatively, forget it, man. He, I mean, and then like when they, 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 they didn't want him doing his side project, you know, Oh, we don't want to compete with Metallica. And, and Jason was even like, how is that fucking possible? You know, like really. And, but yet now with Trujillo, they let him reunite with infectious grooves. They let him collaborate with Ozzy on his newest album. No big deal. I, I, the way they treated him, man. And I know part of it was probably just passive aggressive dealing with Cliff's death, but it was fucking pretty shitty, man. And I know they acknowledge that now, but, uh, but, uh, you know, um, yeah, it's just that, that's my take on it anyway, man. But it's still a great record, um, even though, again, I think like turning down his base, I just I don't I'll never understand what in the fuck Mr. Ulrich was thinking there, man. That's just kind of weird. I would love to hear this album remixed properly. You know, it would be great, I think. I like kicking yourself in the balls. I'll never understand that either. Yeah, or or cutting your nose despite your face. It's just like, all right, man, cool, what, whatever, you know. All right, so we're gonna wrap up with the big breakthrough for the band that mm. that made them house that truly made them household names. The well, it's just called Metallica, but we, we all know it. It's the Black Album. Um, comes out August twelfth, nineteen ninety one. Produced by James Lars and Bob Rock. 
who gets brought into the mix for good or for bad. Um, I'll just get my piece out of the way here real quick. Um, production wise, I mean, you can't, you can't bitch about this record. Everything sounds fucking massive. And as a guitar nerd, um, I love how big all the guitars sound on this record. And, um, yeah, I know it's not as thrashy as their previous work, but I think it's a good marriage of them trying to add a little bit of groove to their sound and also, but still stay heavy. I think, you know, we're all kind of fucked over with, we're, we're all kind of sick of this record for a lot of reasons, but if you just view it as it is and, you know, forget the 20,000 times you've heard the unforgiven, um, it is a great piece of work and it's produced well. And, uh, the year and a half in the life Metallica DVD slash VHS, if you haven't seen it is worth watching just to see how the album was created for me. Um, best i went back and forth on this a few times holier than thou almost made my best for this one but the one i go back to a lot on this and it's kind of an underrated tune i think was uh through the never i think that that song is just fucking killer the riff on it is great james vocals just roars on that song i uh i think it's amazing uh and it never gets brought up very often in conversation with people so that that's going to be my favorite Uh, my worst on this, and it's funny because as Aaron and Mike, you probably know, I'm the ballads guy. I love ballads. I've always been a ballads person. But even when this album was brand new, I did not like Nothing Else Matters. And I still don't like it to this day. I mean, it's I get that it gets a lot of praise because it's so outside the box for James. And I, I think the sentiment behind it is decent. But my God, um, even before it was overplayed, I didn't like the song. And um, I still don't like it. I skip it every... If it comes on the radio, I change the channel immediately. I just can't stand that song. So, um, you know, points for trying to differ your sound, but uh, I don't think it's a great song. Yeah, I hear what you're saying on that. To me, the thing that I think about when I think about the Black Album was the anticipation. Because like you said, you know, and Justice for All, for our age group, was like, like the first Metallica album that was coming out new in my life when I was at the point where I was starting to really be interested in music and buying music and, you know, having favorite bands and looking forward to albums coming out. So then after and justice for all, this was the one that I could go get on the day it came out and the anticipation for it coming out. People were excited about it coming out. I mean, that's not something you really get that much anymore to that level as this, where there's so many people looking forward to a new album by a certain metal band. I mean, it happens, but not like that. Not where it's like the whole world is holding their breath once it's announced that it's going to be happening. You know, I haven't listened to this one in a long time. It's kind of one of those ones where you think, oh, I've heard it a million times. I don't need to hear no more of that, you know, because let's... Think about how many times Lister can do this too. How many times do you think you've listened to this album over the years? <laughs> oh my God. I couldn't imagine. 
many parties have you been at over the years where this was playing? Some of the most kick-ass parties, yes. Many of them, you know. So you think, eh, whatever. You know, the Black Album, it was cool, I guess. A lot of people say, oh, man, that's that's it. That was the end of Metallica right there. But to me, I go back and I listen to this and I think, you know what? I haven't listened to this in a long time. And there's some stuff on here that I really like a lot. And maybe it's a little nostalgic because my age at the time when it came out, how it was right in my rock and roll prime teenage years. But there's stuff on here I really like. Struggle Within is killer. My Friend Misery I like a lot. The God That Failed is cool. Wolf of Man. It's all good. I mean, then, like you said, Through the Never is an amazing song. I think what hurts this album is the memories of the Unforgiven and nothing else matters. So, you know, I don't know. Tie between those two for the worst, maybe. Because I don't like either one of them songs. I remember at the time, even I was thinking, you know, and I wasn't like the biggest Metallic fan, but I liked them. And I remember hearing the Unforgiven and going, Ugh, you know, what is this? That seems phony, you know? Yeah. Kind of, thing, kind of thing where my friend Jeff would be giving me hell about how Kiss sucks. I'd go back and be like, yeah, well, I mean, the Unforgiven isn't really, you know, heavy metal either you know enter sandman i mean heard it a million times probably turn on the tv or walk into a store or something or turn on the radio you're gonna hear it within the next hour or so somewhere it is an epic song that people love it's killer i mean i loved it at the time yeah i mean even now it's like even like welcome to the jungle you've heard it a million times but when you really take that out of the equation and look at it pretty killer song but always my favorite on here has been Don't Tread On Me. song just cooks it's got this awesome groove to it and i'm gonna give this album a little more attention in my life now because like i said it's been forever since i listened to it i think i took it for granted that this is something i you know just have in the collection and don't really ever go back to but there's stuff on here that's definitely worth going back to again and again and i learned a lesson by doing this today not to write off an album like this and to really give it a listen because i'm going to enjoy it when it comes up in the shuffle you just needed two decades off. Right. There you go. Yeah. A little space. <sighs> okay. Um, yeah. Um, I'm older than you guys, as you know. And uh, I was not at the very, very beginning, but pretty damn close to it. Um, over time, my taste has changed. I have somewhat softened on this record. But at the time, I'm talking, when did this album come out? 91? Yeah, 92? 91. Yeah, 1991, Mike, fucking hated this. <laughs> Felt it was an ultimate betrayal. The first time I heard Inner Sandman, I watched the video, I about weeped. I'm like, oh, my God, what is this? And here's the thing. I know people, because some people get really super defensive on this album. And it's really weird, you know, in the Facebook groups or whatever, they'll say thoughts on this record. And then when you tell them what you think, they get, not everybody, but some people get, you know, you know how it is, every. Band or artist has their certain segment of fans called tards, and they are tards. They 
because not only do they love anything and everything that band does, but if you don't like it, well, you're not a Metallica fan or you're not. And I'm like, you know, uh, go suck a dick. Okay. Like, sorry, but, um, <laughs> no, I was, you know, like it, it, I'm not, man, there's very few artists or bands where I like absolutely everything they've ever done. You know I mean? And with, with this, I mean, like you said, Chris, I agree with you production wise, Hey, Bob Rock's got it going on. If I need somebody to adjust my fucking equalizer for my stereo, that's the guy I'm getting. You know, like the sound of the album is great. I will never take that away from the man. Creative direction, though, I want to punch him in the fucking throat. I'm sorry, <laughs> but, um, you know, especially at the time, uh, I'm sorry, but I, and, and everybody goes, well, what did you expect him to do? Play 90 miles an hour? 100 miles? No, because here's my rebuttal of that. If you go through their discography, not every song that Metallica recorded, especially after Kill 'Em All, goes a million miles an hour. Mm. You know, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Fade to Black, uh, The Thing That Should Not Be, Welcome Home Sanitarium isn't a million miles an hour. There's a bunch of them, but you know what the difference is? Those songs are amazing. The songwriting is just infinitely better. I understand why Metallica simplified things, especially after doing an album like Justice for All. I get it. I do. But they went too far they in that direction. They overcorrected, in your opinion. Yes. And I'll give you a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Sad but true. An amazing, an amazing riff. An amazing riff. But it's so monotonous and over and over and over. And as I'm a longtime Metallica fan, I'm like, what? What? Like, Where's the interchanges? Where's the next great riff? Where's and there's none of that. And even the guitar solo, I think, is kind of weak. I mean, I'm sorry. And this is where Kirk starts doing his wah 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 shit. And I hated that. And another thing I hate about this record, especially this is the very beginning. He doesn't quite do it. No, that isn't till the next era, which I'm not going to be on that episode, folks, but I'm going to give you my fucking thoughts on it right now. I hate that stuff. I hate James's Eeyore's vocals. I just hate the way he sings on those records, man. And um, I don't like that. There's just a lot about this album I don't like. I'm sorry. I know my opinions in the minority. I know it sold a bazillion albums. I know it literally cemented their legacy. So I get what people try to say to me. And I understand people who are younger than me that came in on this record. And it's their Metallica. And I totally understand that. Our guys, our buddies at the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast say it all the time. Timeline is everything. And yes. I totally agree with that. I understand. You know, I'm not one of those gatekeeping fans like, you know, well, you're a fucking poser. for No, fuck that. That's bullshit. With that being said, though, man, like I said, there are some songs I do like, though. Over time, I've gotten to where I mellowed. Um, holier than now great song um don't tread on me another cool song through the never is awesome of wolf and man i like the god that fail is my favorite that's my favorite track on the album my best uh, a song that at the time and you folks you probably can go back and listen to the rock and metal combat podcast episode that i guested on where we reviewed this album i was very critical of this song at the time i thought it was filter it didn't do anything for me or filler i should say since then 
I've come to appreciate a lot more. And that's my friend of misery. I just love that opening baseline that Jason does. I mean, the struggle within don't really do a whole lot for me. So for the, my favorite, the guy that failed the worst, pretty much all the shitty fucking singles they put out. Sorry, folks. That's just how I feel about it, man. But if I had to say absolute worst, it'd probably be a tie between inner Sandman and nothing else matters, including their integrity. I'm done. (laughs) Mic drop. And I love Metallica, folks, so please don't get all mad at me. Or It's just my opinion, man, and it shouldn't really affect your love for this record if you do love it, you know. But I'm, I'm, I, I, I speak from my heart. I always have, man, and I'm not going to like something just because it's Metallica, even though they are one of my all-time favorite bands. You know, there's not a band out there that you love every single song there. No, no, no. Very. There's a few where I feel like, oh, okay. Like Overkill, I don't feel Overkill's ever put out a bad record. They haven't. Do, but do 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 I like some more than others? Yes. Right. But Overkill's one of those bands. Death Angel's another one for me. Um, you know, bands like that, Clutch, Crowbar. Those Abba. are the bands where I'm. Hey, I actually do like Abba. <laughs> believe it or not. You know, I know. Some, <laughs> but you know, my big brother gives me shit for that all the time. I'm like, look, dude, I they were great at what they did. Alba was, in my opinion, pop perfection. You know, yeah, and, so if, and when, if, you, if you hate Metal Mike's takes on Metallica, especially the Black Album, just remember he's an ABBA fan. I do like ABBA. Yes, I do. I'm, I'm, you know, sue me. But I like my metal to be metal, you know, and I know that's not because it's not like this record's not heavy. It is. It is heavy, especially in certain parts, man. Like I said, Sad But True is an amazing riff. Man, it's a bone-crushing riff. Just goes on for seven minutes. But my God, it's too long, and it's just so monotonous, man. I'm like, oh, I'm ready to turn this off. And and another thing that I hated, which one was the other one I didn't like? Yeah, I don't know, man. Most of the singles just didn't do it for me, man. Well, my favorite botched tattoo photo I've ever seen is a Metallica logo that somebody got tattooed on their arm, and underneath it says, nothing else mattress. <laughs> That's great, man. <laughs> wow, that's funny. But yeah, I, I like I said, man, and I know because there's a lot of people, you know, especially when I was younger, I was a little bit more arrogant. So I'd go, well, this is that and this sucks. And then there would be people go, well, you got to understand that was my first Metallica album. That's the album that got me into metal. OK, bro, I, I get where you're coming from. I understand. You know, I do. It's like people who probably love even albums by Kiss, like Unmasked. I'm like, Ugh, it makes me want to throw up in my mouth. Right. And like you say, you know, timeline truly is everything. It's where you came in on them that makes means the most. So I look back and what do I think about Metallica? My friend Jeff's cassette tape, you know, years later, getting Kill 'em All on CD and listening to that for the first time, having the Master of Puppets on LP from my Uncle Bruce, you know, hearing my cousin Robin's cassette tape of And Justice for All, and then finally being able to buy the Black album. So as far as Metallica goes for me, that's something that falls all up in my timeline, and I'm glad it is, you know, because I was around for all that, you know, retrospectively the earlier stuff. But as far as the trajectory of them becoming one of the biggest bands in the entire world, I was right there in junior high, you know, you can't beat it. You got to love it as far as musical discovery of things being available and popular at the time. I couldn't ask for a better time to grow up. You know, the one thing that does amaze me about Metallica, I will give them this, is the fact that, like, 
you know, you, you see it all the time. How many bands that we love that we followed kind of were trendsetters and did things their way. And then eventually they start following trends. All the great ones do it right. Metallica did it, but not only were able to pass, you know, pull it off, but kind of commercially thrive. It's, it, it, it just would blow my mind. It was like, no matter what they put out, people just ate it up. Like it was like, going out of style you know and again i you know i'm talking about the i'm i'm gonna just say it, the bob rock era i hate it okay i fucking hate it i mean i think he's the worst thing creatively the worst thing that happened to metallica because i do, i mean this was the beginning of the end after this it was all downhill man they were following trends i mean they were even on the cover of Corain or metal hammer whatever don't call us a metal fan <laughs> Hey, uh, James Lars, then the word metals in your very name. It just pissed me <laughs> off at the time. It really made me angry. I just felt, you know, like, like, what the fuck, man? Like, why don't you just call yourself Alternacalica or Hard Rock Alica? If you don't want to be metal, then change the name of the band. You know, it really pissed me off at the time because especially around that time, because of what was going on, you know, like metal became this dirty word, even though I have to say some people really bag on the 90s, but I'm like, shit man i was list i was going to see bands like pantera and crowbar and sepultura and you know it, and fear factory and it was an amazing time for me man you know a clutch uh machine head all that stuff i loved it you know um so to me it was like i'm going to all these shows and that was you know so when people did i'm like all it did was kind of force metal to go underground and reinvent itself and then of course spawn even more subgenres like new metal and whatnot and again like every subgenre some artists within that subgenre i like some of them i don't you know good time metalhead again you know to grow up in it and now as an adult be able to enjoy it because a band like metallica has survived all these years these may be considered the glory years but metallica goes on for a lot longer than that is it good is it bad well, you'll have to tune back in next week to find out. As we said, we'll be joined by Josh Toomey to take it from the Black Album forward to where we're at today. It should be interesting. Nonetheless, today was not easy. Very, very difficult to pick the best and the worst of Metallica on these first halfway through of the albums because there's so much good stuff on them. But we had fun today. It was interesting to talk about it. Fun to hash it out. I'm going to have nightmares about this one for a long time. <laughs> it was tough, man. It was really hard. It was because like, you know, and I also think like with me, like with Master of Puppets, especially because I think 1986 is to thrash metal what 1980 was to traditional hard rock and metal. It's the greatest year in thrash metal. When you look at all the releases that came out that year, mm. I mean, a lot of, well, three of the big four came out with seminal releases. I mean, you got master puppets, you got peace cells, but who's buying. And I know our Chris isn't a big Slayer fan, but rain and blood, you cannot deny its impact, man. Creator with a pleasure to kill. I mean, just go down the list, man. Just amazing stuff. Yeah. So Mike, uh, make sure you get a plug in for yourself. Where can people find you? Where can people check out your show? All right, man. Well, uh, I I do a Friday night show from uh, 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at thatmetalstation.com every Friday, which unfortunately conflicts with your guys' live show. That's why I never get to see your live shows is because I'm doing the Friday show. But I've been doing the Friday slot pretty much since I started. When I first started, though, I I actually worked straight evenings and um, I would do a late night show. 
And then eventually I moved into what was considered prime time. And um, it's a lot of fun, man. People come to the chat room. We talk metal. We play a lot of and I play all kinds of hard rock and metal uh, from old school to the newest of the new. You know, and I'm always trying to find new bands to play because that's the thing. There's a lot of great, like great new wave of thrash metal, great doom metal, stone metal. I mean, newer bands, man, new wave of traditional hard rock and metal. Some of these bands are amazing and it just frustrates me. But I will say this to all those people that go around saying rock and metal's dead. Well, look, guys, there were two concerts I went to at, at the amphitheater that uh, made me realize, no, it's not. Uh, I on, on my birthday, I went to see uh, Megadeth and Five Finger Death Punch. And even though I'm not the world's biggest Five Finger Death Punch fan, I had not been to a show that long where people were literally waiting all the way out. There was a line all the way out to the parking lot. Um, also, there was a really cool band I discovered that I hadn't heard of called The Who, H-U. They're a Mongolian metal band. They are a trip. But people were like, they had their horn. And some of the kids even knew the words to the song. It was really cool. And and like I said, when I first heard Five Finger, you know, I I think I got like the first couple albums and I was like, huh, watered down Pantera. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say this after seeing them live and my my nephew, he's younger than me. So he really likes that band. And he was like, well, they started out that way, Uncle Mike, but they're not like that anymore. They kind of have their own thing going. And because most of the material they played was material I was not familiar with. And one of the things I did notice about him, it was almost like dare I say power medley like it the, the vocals and a lot of rah-rah a lot of um overcoming adversity and stuff and the one thing I will say about them is they had read a letter apparently there was um you know they're very very um active when it comes to the veterans our veterans and 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 they they go over there and they perform for them live all the time and they do they and and this guy who was a fan of theirs he was over there fighting and he unfortunately lost his life and him and his little sister were huge fans of the band somebody wrote the band a letter and he had he wrote the let he read the letter to the audience and had his family come up there his little sister and all that gave her a bunch of merch said here's a certificate for even more merch and then had them stand right in the front of the stage while they did their cover of bad company i mean i ain't gonna lie man i wasn't a dry eye in the house and megadeth was amazing as well is it weird to me to see Megadeth open for Five Finger Death Punch being an older metal fan? Yes, it is. But I have to say it was a really cool show. And then the other show I saw earlier this year is when Rob Zombie had that. They had Mudvayne and all these basically alternative metal, new metal bands. But it packed. The place was packed. It was like it reminded me. Well, Rob even said on stage like Ozfest circa 99 or something. So it tells me that, you know what? I don't care what these pundits and these people say. I mean, I always, I don't know if we'll ever be like it was in the eighties as far as in the mainstream, but rock and metal ain't going nowhere, folks. All right. Well, there you have it. That's part one. We got it out of the way. Mike, thanks for all your help, man. You guys know where you can check him out. Show him some love. He's out there rock and roll. You know, he's got the spirit just like we do. There is there is one other thing. I'm sorry to interrupt, Aaron. I apologize. But there is one other thing I wanted to point out when you said where you could, you could find me. You can also find me uh, on the Plug Podcast, Music and More, with my fellow DJ and good friend, Nate Atchison, a.k.a. Big Bushy. Uh, really good guy. Couldn't ask for, you know, it was actually his podcast. And he invited me to be a part of it. And we've been rolling and things are going pretty good, man. I, I We got a good dynamic. He's kind of the glam metal guy. I'm the thrash metal guy, even though we both love all kinds of rock and metal. And we got a good thing. So you can find us there, too. So please check that out as well. All right, yeah, we love Bushy. Yeah, he rules. 
All right. Well, we're ready to get out of here, and uh, we'll be back uh, next week with part two of this, right? Got it. We'll see you. See you. Later. Oh,